So let me introduce myself. My name is Steph Politis. Uh, I look super duper duper young, I know, but uh, I feel like I have I have grown up in the church and we, my husband and I, have been in church ministry for the last 20 years. Uh, so when you look at me and think, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Uh, I don't, I'm faking it, but I have a little bit of experience so we can kind of work together. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to a ministry program called Ace Teams where we traveled around to uh, every type of church on the planet. I have been in inner city church, small churches. I grew up in a real small rural church. Uh, I worked in a church plant that blew out of control super quick. Uh, my husband and I are in a church plant now here that's more of a medium size, but on the growing quick side. We've been in traditional churches. We lived in Springfield, Missouri for a while. We went to Central Assembly, which has been around uh, for a kajillion years. We've been in upstart churches. So we have seen... Um, seen churches kind of in every different scope out there. And as you guys are very well aware, a volunteer is the core of any church, any size, any place. And so I have this great passion for volunteer ministry. And so I've started to uh, kind of put some stuff together. So I hope what I have today can help you out. Now, when we hit the end, if you have questions, uh, you can absolutely raise your hand, ask me, catch me at the end. Please feel free to uh, interject at any point as long as you, you know, just don't scream louder than me because I have kids, so I'm used to that. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. First of all, let me ask, did any, was anybody at the administrative assistance luncheon back in the fall and heard? Great, captive audience. All, okay, so you'll have, this will sound very familiar, so, but don't try to ruin the ending. It's a real, real page turner. Okay, so before we, so as I mentioned, we've been in church ministry forever. Before we moved here, uh, my husband and I both worked at headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, I worked in the U.S. Missions Department with finances. And so I know you're like, how does that really relate to here? Uh, we also worked with mission, with missionaries and volunteers. And so we've had a whole different scope of missions outreach activity. Um, when we moved here, we had our fourth, that's right, fourth child. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay home and raise these little monkeys. And so that's what I do now, uh, but still very involved in the ministry at our church. In fact, there is one of the girls from our church who we do ministry with. So today I want to talk in kind of two segments. The first thing I want to talk about is the concept behind volunteer ministry. The second thing I want to talk about is six take home and start right away type things that you can do. So to be fair, the first part when we talk about volunteer concept, how we view view and approach volunteers in the church, there is not a terrific amount about how your church views volunteers that you can go home on Monday and make changes to. How your church views volunteers, how they deal with volunteers, is generally a little bit systemic, comes from the senior pastor down, and to move that ship is going to be a long process. So if, when I talk about the two different types of ministry, if you're like, we're changing tomorrow, well, it, it might it might take a little bit of time. But at the end, when I give you, you, you can do these things right now, these are things that you generally can go back and at least implement a couple of them. And that's what I want you to have. I want you to be able to walk out at the end and be like, you know, that was a lot. I can't do it all, but I can maybe try these two things and see if it works, all right? So let's start with talking about there's two basic types of volunteer ministries and the, or, or pe- the way that people view volunteers. The first one is what I think 99% of most churches and truthfully just any volunteer-based organization views volunteers. And I call that the the need-based volunteer concept. And the second type is the volunteer-based volunteer concept. 
okay? So we're going to talk about those two different types in four different areas. Let me grab my notes and move forward so I can be a little bit closer. Don't cheat and look ahead, okay? Very exciting. Thank you. Okay, so the first one is the need-based volunteer organization. Now, the majority of the world it lives in need-based volunteer system. I have four kiddos. The oldest is nine. The youngest is two. We in our home live in a need-based volunteer system. Okay, I need someone to go set the table. You're the volunteer. Go do it. Okay, I need someone to help with the laundry. You're standing closest. Go help with the laundry. Okay, we see that there's all these needs that need to be filled, and so what do we do? We either have to pay someone, but in churches we don't have the money to do that, so we find volunteers to fill those needs. Have needs. Filled volunteers. There's a different kind of ministry, though, and that's where it's volunteer-based ministry. Now, let me tell you a story about my crew. So, as you can imagine, I have one girl, three boys. The number of socks that run through my wash machine in any given week is just mind-boggling. And I'm not going to lie. When I'm folding clothes, we have to prioritize the clothes that we fold in my house. We get like jeans done first because. Those need to be worn all the time. We make sure the undergarments are done. We make sure the shirts are clean and folded. The socks, eh, as long as they have enough to get them the next couple days, we're good. And so, in the bottom of my laundry basket, at every point, guys, this is really shameful. Please don't feel less of me. There's not like a couple straggle socks. There's probably like 70 socks. That there's probably a match in there. But I'm. Everybody has enough socks for tomorrow, so I am not going to sit here and fold all these socks. That's ridiculous. Okay. So every now and again, I'll go to my kids, and I usually pick my daughter because she's the most responsible. And I will hand her the basket, and I will say, "For every pair you find, you get five cents." And she'll be like, "Woo!" So the first time I hand her that, handed her that basket, and I thought to myself. Genius mom moment. Way to go, mom! I hand her that basket and go upstairs to collect some change. And I'm not kidding you. Like three seconds later, she comes up behind me. She's like, "Done, mom. You owe me four dollars." And I'm like, "There is no way, no way that you finish that whole basket." And so I go down. She goes, "Mom, I got a match for every one of them. I'm done." So I go downstairs. I'm like, "No way." So I dump out the basket, and she has. Gotten a match for every single sock. It is not the sock that matches it. Okay, <laughs> two socks, fold them, done. Two socks, fold them, done. So, did she complete the task? Yes, she made sure every sock had a buddy. But was it in a way that was ever going to function? No, no. Like I don't even think she got a single sock in the right place. It was amazing. But. I'm sorry to tell you that the majority of our churches are meeting their socks the same way. Okay, we have a need, we have a live body. Problem solved. Problem solved. That is need-based volunteers, where we have the need, we have a person that's willing to do it, we stick them in there. Problem solved. We give them their nickel. We move on to the next task. So the goal of need-based ministries is just to make sure all the needs have a body in it. We just need a warm body in every open spot. Now, volunteer-based ministry strategy is where we're trying to make sure that the volunteer is getting the very most that they can out of what they're doing their volunteer ministry in. Now, guys, this may be surprising to you. You might want to grab out your pen, pencil and paper and write this down. But in the church, our overarching mission is to see people grow. 
Tell me to write that down. I mean, I know that sounds really deep, but we want to see people grow. We want to see them grow in their faith, grow in who they are as a person, grow in maturity, grow in emotional strength. That is what our goal is. And everything we do in our ministries, from the types of ministries that we design to how we set up our life groups, to even when people walk in the door and we have all the greeters there to help people feel like you can do this, you can be involved. We're focused on helping people grow except for where we come to volunteer ministry. And then we don't really care what you're good at as long as you'll show up and breathe. Like, doesn't matter. Oh, you're good at that? Fantastic. But are you breathing? Great. You're qualified. And so our volunteer strategy is just based on filling the need instead of based on helping people grow to be the best kind of person that they can be in whatever ministry is that they're doing. Now, I know most of you are like, oh, so good. That totally does not pan out in real life. Guys, I get it. That in small, especially smaller churches, when I was growing up, we were in a real, real, real small rural church, 60 people and less. I can tell you right now, as an eight-year-old kid, I did not feel the call of God to clean a toilet every other week. Like, no amount of praying was er making that urging grow in my spirit that that was my spiritual gifting. So I know that some of you are saying like, gosh, I get it, I get it, that we should really be finding volunteers in the best place possible, but sometimes you just got to fill holes. I get that. But hang on. Let's let's plow all the way through these two concepts to see how we can use parts of it to get in everything, okay? So when we're talking about need-based volunteer strategy, recruitment is very simple. If you are having a need to fill and you see someone who has a free moment of their life and looks you directly in the eye for more than two seconds, done, okay? That is all that required. On their feet, made eye contact, boom, okay? Recruitment is basically, you are, the pastor's communicating from the front, you are called to this mission that I have, you need to invest in it, find any spot where we need a people, and plug in. That is your responsibility to the mission of God. They, the volunteers, are fulfilling the church's mission. That's how we find our volunteer ministry. Now, for volunteer-based strategy, it's different. We're not saying to volunteers, you are filling our mission. We're saying you need to find out what the mission is that God has for your life. Then we are going to connect you to how we can do that together to make sure that you grow to be the person that you want to be and the church gains all that they can be. Okay? I want to stop for just two seconds and uh, explain how my church excels in this. Um, guys, we are a small church plant. We're running like 250, 300. When we came, when we moved here four years ago, um, it was under 50 people. Small, small church plant. Now, I am not, uh, you may not have guessed this from me, but I'm not very fluffy. Like, I kind of get right to the point. I don't cry pretty much ever. Uh, arts and crafts are painful to me. And holding a baby is only if I feel like I have to. I know that sounds weird because I have four kids. But, like, I'm not your typical woman, right? And so, and I know, because I've been this my whole life, that for a lot of people that's frustrating because I don't fit very good into a box. And so when I came to our church, it would have been very easy for my senior pastor to be like, well, you're a girl, and so we're going to need you to step into women's ministries and help in the nursery every week and just, you know, that's going to be your fit. But when we talked to Pastor Kyle, you know, I was honest, and I'm like, hey, I'm a systems thinker. I'm a strategy type of gal. Um, I can take a big mess get it in nice order, get everything going the right way, build a systems book on how to keep it going. But then from that point forward, I'm bored. Like, if you want me then to stay in that ministry and maintain it and keep it going, like, 
I'm checking out. Like, that's not the way I think. And our pastor's been so gracious. He has consistently handed me things and said, could you just make this not a mess? Yeah. And so I'll get in, I'll make it not a mess, and it'll take me six months to a year, and then I'll go to him and I'll be like, I'm done. Like, I want out. And he's never offended. And a lot of people in a lot of uh, ministry heads in churches are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I had the hole filled. You were filling the hole. You can't step out. You have a hole to fill. But he recognizes like everybody has a gift. And if we can use the people with their specific gifts in the way that they function the best, it benefits everybody. It benefits the church because they get the skills of that person. It benefits the person because they get to grow in their skills as they're feeling used by God. And it benefits the people in the ministry under them who get to reap the benefits of both. So when you use people in the gifts that they already have or that they're wanting to grow in, in that place that's the best fit for them, it's a win all the way around. Okay, so that's the difference between recruitment. When we're volu- when we're need-based recruitment, we're just filling holes. Doesn't matter. You are going to answer to the church because you are fulfilling the church's mission. But when we're volunteer-based, we're saying God has a call for your life. How can we help make part of what's happening here help you meet that goal in your life? Okay, so there's recruitment. So let's talk about the next area, and that's community. Now, guys, this one is a huge one for me. Community. Now, again, I'm not going to be so silly to say, well, I'm sure you guys have so many volunteers in all your churches that you don't even know what to do with them all. And so you're partnering people up because you're like, well, I guess we'll put eight people in the nursery this week because we've got so many that are dying to do it, right? That's happening everywhere, right? Guys, I get it that in almost every church, the number of things that we need is like half of the number or is double the number of people that are actually willing to fill. And so it becomes so easy to say, the quickest thing we're going to do is to just spread people so thin that we have one person in each spot. And so you end up with one greeter at the door and one and a half, like a youth in the nursery. And we try to get our people real thin because our goal is to put a nice thin layer over everything. Everybody has something. But what you don't realize is the small groups that most every church is trying desperately to get off the ground, small groups happen naturally easily in volunteer ministry. When we first set up our kids' ministries, uh, back when I was in Springfield, they said, what are we going to do? We, Our volunteers are all the time. We'll keep them for six months, and then they're out of here. They don't want to do it anymore. Well, the reason was, and I knew because we were in that ministry, when we showed up, we never worked with the same people twice. It was us, and we were making a friend with a stranger, and we would be in there, we knew, for half an hour, and then we'd leave, and we'd see him maybe in church the next, a couple weeks later, but we'd never see him again. Guys, when you have an opportunity to have people work together on a team, it is natural. Human nature says, even to the introvert, if I'm going to spend the next half an hour with them, I should chit-chat enough to at least make it not awkward, Okay. So if you have people chit-chatting to be not awkward enough times in a row, pretty soon the chit-chat becomes natural, and those people, even if they didn't want to be friends, become kind of like this sort of friend. So then when you go to start a small group, you're like, hey, you know them. You probably know them reasonably well because you serve with them every other week in the greeter ministry. Oh, yeah, I do small group with them. I know them. I don't have to go in with a stranger. See, when you partner people in community in volunteer work and let people know that's why we're doing that, then people start to develop relationships. In fact, I think in a lot of churches, volunteers feel like if they, if they chit chat, maybe they're not quite 
fulfilling the vision that they're supposed to. You know, like you have the greeter at the door who's like, dude, my task, every hand needs a bulletin. Boom, 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 boom. And if you're like, well, you know, you can also make friends with the person next to you. Oh, totally mind blown. So if we make a culture of, hey, when you're volunteering, you're creating a community in this network where you're pulling people together because, guys, I want to tell you, my husband and I are going to be in children's ministry for the next 400 years because we have four kids, right? We just believe if you've got a kid in it, you better show up. So we're never going out of it because we just keep having these kids, right? So we do not, don't tell my kids, we do not love kids' ministry. We don't. We love our kids. We know it's the right thing to do. We show up to kids' ministry. But we have made a point to be like, you know what? Whoever volunteer they, they dunk in us with that week, they are our new best friend. We are going to make sure that they walk out of here and they've laughed. They've had a good time. They've enjoyed what's happened with the kids. Guys, we've all heard the Bible studies before. Okay, We have heard these stories we're teaching our three-year-olds. You're generally not going to walk out of teaching a three-year-old class and be like, oh, right here. Good truth. Okay? It's just probably not going to happen. But you are going to walk out and be like, man, I really connected with them. And like, you know, we frequently get done in kids ministry. We're like, hey, we're going out to donuts. You want to come? Yeah. Because we've just spent a half an hour getting a good laugh at the kids, teaching them a Bible story, and making small talk and enjoying each other. And so when we leave, we've done more than just talk kids. We've developed this little bit of community. And that's something that you have to teach your volunteers that, hey, it's okay. It's okay to have a good time doing what you're doing, and please connect with other people. And to be fair, not that we're trying to fill holes, because we know how faux pas that is, we're not doing that, you're going to find people who are like, dude, did not call it the parking lot ministry. I do not like to be cold. Ohio is cold. You picked the wrong person. But you're going to find somebody who loves people, and you're going to be like, hey... I know that you don't like the cold, but if we buy you some super thick socks, will you go out there and help all those guys become a team? Would you go out there and make them friends, bring them out coffee, make sure they're chit-chatting, make sure that when they leave the parking lot, they have all had a good laugh, they've all enjoyed one another, and that they're all getting to know each other better? Oh, yes, that's something that I can do. Can I direct cars with the best of them? Maybe not so much, but can I make sure that people are connected and enjoying what they're doing in ministry? Yes, that's a whole different type of ministry. So it's so important that we're, you build a culture where when people serve, you're having them serve as a team. Now, one of the hardest parts of this is, and, and guys, I wish I had a real good answer here, so maybe fill in a profound response before and pretend like it came for me, but I don't, um, is the husband and wife team thing. Because it's just convenient to have husband and wife teams do stuff, like greeters. Why? Because they both get there at the same time. You know, like, it's, they, you know they're both going to have a ride that day because they come together. Like, it's very convenient. But let me just tell you, it's maybe not always the most helpful in helping them build community. Because I know that you guys live in happy land when you get your kids up and go to church on Sunday and like you all go to church with your hands out the window praising the Lord, right? That doesn't necessarily always happen in my house on Sunday morning. Like, we're walking out and a kid has no shoe and I'm like, who cares? Get in the car. Praise the Lord. Like, just get in the car. And we are not the only family that gets to church and because you can see it like as the guy opened the door, like the look on their face is like, Oh, you're like, I thought we covered that better that like, put your happy face on. We're going to love Jesus. Okay. Like, 
sometimes, guys, it's rough on a Sunday morning. And so when you've had a couple that has had a rough time walking through the doors of the church, and then they get in there and you're like, great, and it's just the two of you with these babies. They're like, I don't even want to look at his face, much less surround me by a bunch of babies. Like, I don't think so. And so then they're stuck in that nursery looking at each other, festering on the wounds of the morning. I'm telling you, those babies are not feeling the love of Jesus. Okay? It isn't happening. Now, does that mean always separate couples? No way. My husband and I, we work best as a team in kids' ministry. Because by this point with four kids, dude, we know what each other's thinking. It's ridiculous. That being said, we always say, put somebody else with us. Not because we need a buffer. Like, we can put on our happy face for 45 minutes. But because we know we work, it's better for the other person to come join us. Sometimes it's better for us to have a little bit of something extra space. So if you're going to use married couples, if at all possible, and again, I get it. There is not always a million extra people just milling about wishing they had something to do. But try to bring in another person with them so that there is that kind of extra breathing room that, hey, if it's not been a stellar morning, like... You can't avoid eye contact with him for the next 45 minutes and still accomplish the will of God for your life, okay? So, that's community. And then our final thing that we're going to talk about, and this is where our next six principles that I really want you to take home with that are going to be the most most important, they come down to volunteer care. Because volunteer care is what I feel like the church is missing the most of. Now, guys, this will surprise you, but after this long, maybe nothing will surprise you that comes out of my mouth. But uh, in my free time with my four kids, I teach water aerobics to seniors, right? Why wouldn't I? So I I legit do that. And so yesterday I was telling my girls in the pool, I was like, well, ladies, I'm going tomorrow and I'm going to teach two sessions at uh, this conference to a bunch of uh, ministry-related people. And they're like, oh, what are you teaching? And I said, well, I'm teaching on volunteers and after lunch teaching on QuickBooks. They go, well, two snoozers, good for you. I'm like, thanks. Thanks a lot. But the one lady, like, as we kind of separated and we were doing laps back and forth, she, like, pulls me to the side and she's like, I am just going to tell you, as a senior, I have all this time on my hands. And so I have always tried to volunteer for different organizations. She goes, the organizations that have the greatest number of volunteers is not because they have the greatest causes. She says, I wanted so desperately to volunteer for the Red Cross because they go in and they help people in the middle of these chaotic disasters. And I thought I could really make a difference there. She goes, I did it for two years. And finally, it was in the middle of a hurricane aftermath in Florida. I took the Red Cross vehicle for myself and drove back home to Ohio and left them stranded. She goes, I couldn't do it even two days more. She goes, and it's not because what we were doing was bad and I felt like it was compromising me. She was the way that they took care of their volunteers was so ridiculous. I said, no more. I can't be a part of this. So guys, it's not just the church that is having a hard time with volunteer care. It is the worldwide. And I thought she said it so perfectly when she said, dude, it doesn't matter what your mission is. If your mission is awesome, if your mission is garbage, if you're treating your volunteers great, they don't care. They're going to show up because they feel valued. And guys, when we look at need-based volunteer ministry, logically, there's no such thing as volunteer care because you do not have enough people to have somebody take care of the volunteers. Everybody is filling a hole. If somebody goes to fill the hole of taking care of volunteers, there is another hole that is not that is not filled. 
Everybody is just doing enough to keep everything running. There is no extra space. So volunteer care ends up being something like a once a year volunteer appreciation banquet where who's ever the speaker, like the senior pastor at the end is like running out the back because he doesn't want someone to catch his arm and be like, thank you so much. I'm totally quitting, by the way. Like, right? They're trying to avoid every volunteer. Okay. But that is not volunteer care. Volunteer care is what's going to make your your volunteers feel like not just that they're valued. Because guys, a little thank you note in the mail that says, hey, thanks for all that you do. Yes, that, that speaks volumes. But if the volunteer doesn't feel like what they're doing to them has value, again, to the volunteer has value. Like my time is being spent well, I'm making a contribution they're not going to want to continue coming back. In the church, because we kind of have the Jesus guilt trip a little bit, we'll get volunteers to stay longer than other organizations will because we'll be like, hmm, that's in the Bible, says you have to help, and people are like, oh, yeah. So we'll keep them a little longer than some of the other organizations like the zoo or the Red Cross. But you know what? In the end, if we don't take care of them, they're going to bug out. And the worst part about a mad volunteer at the church is they never leave alone. They always bring a buddy. And the worst is they are your worst PR then because they're out in the community. They're like, yeah, I was super involved in that church. And when I got there, I loved it. And I got involved. And then they just kept asking me to do things, which I thought was really important. But then the more I do, the more they kept asking me. And then when I said I need a break, they wouldn't give me a break. And then I just, and then I had this family emergency. And then they were all upset because I couldn't be there. And I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I quit. I had to, I had to go somewhere else. Guys. We all know that is not the PR we want out there for our church. People are not looking for a place to get involved where they're going to get burnt out and then leave angry. So we want to make sure that our volunteers are so loved that even if they need to take a step back, it's a beautiful step back that they're saying to the people around them, gosh, the church, like they came around and loved me even when I feel like I let them down. But they were there for me. They took care of me. They wanted to be a part. That's being the church and good PR, which is what we want to, okay? So that's, volunteer care is so, so important. Okay, so if you have notes, and I know you do, because my husband made those lovely books for you, pull out your little book, and I'm gonna give you six, six pointers for how you can improve your volunteer care in your ministry. Now guys, there is surely one of these that you can do starting next week. Some of them are some are things that you have to kind of work into over a season, but some of them you can do this next week, all right? So let's write this down. The number one, the first thing is, and this is not in order of what you can do first. This is in the logical order of getting a volunteer in through keeping them to the end, okay? So you might not be able to start at number one on things that you can do. You might have to start on four or five, but we're going to go in the, the way that we get them. So the first one is you need to clearly define the role and then I want you to hear this because you're not going to like it, but write it down anyways because I said it. And the time frame when making the ask. Clearly define the role and the time frame when making the ask. So I'm going to give you a no and a yes. No is how you should not approach it. Okay? No is, hey, would you mind to work in the kids' area for a while? We all know that means till you die, okay? You, a while, a while, that's nothing, okay? A while. Okay, a yes is, 
Would you be interested in, te- interested in teaching in the three-year-old class every other Sunday from now until December of this year? Okay, don't be like, until March. Well, I meant of eternity. Like, <laughs> just keep marching forward, right? Okay, so make sure, and this isn't just, I know that I keep going back to kids' ministry because I think it's the most obvious and it requires the most volunteers. But regardless of what your ministry is, when you're asking someone to be involved, you need to make it very specific. Now, everybody knows the people in church that can't say say no to anything because they're doing like 75 million things and they all look really like, bah! okay, so maybe let's not pick them. The rest of the people in your church that know how to say no, the reason that they know how to say no is because when somebody comes up to them with an ask, the answer is no unless they know all the details. That's how it is in our house. I'm sure it's the same way in your house. When my kids come up and say, hey mom, can I have a snack? The answer is no. Because if I say yes, I go in there and the ice cream is out, the cookies are next to it, they're mixing up a cake, they've got cupcakes smeared down. But you said I could have a snack. Okay, no. No, I said you could have a cheese stick, okay? That is not the same as a cake. So you need to give specific, specific uh, roles. Not even, if you notice, I didn't even say the yes was, hey, would you work in kids? No, don't do that. Would you work specifically in the three-year-old classroom? When? Every other Sunday. For how long? Until December of this year. It's the same for any ministry. Would you be a life group leader? When? You can pick the night of the week. How long? Just for this next nine weeks. When is it going to be? Every other week. Okay, so see, you just defined that. With life group leaders, you might even give them the where. Okay? All at the beginning. Give them all of the information up front so that when they say yes or no, they're at least saying yes or no to exactly what you were asking them for. Okay? So make sure when you ask that you put all of the details in the ask. Another thing that I prefer to do, but again, everybody's a little bit different, is I prefer to give them a deadline as to when they tell me back, okay? I never say, would you pray about it? Because we all know that means they're not going to respond to you and avoid you for the next six weeks, okay? Their answer is no, and they're just going to avoid you and you've lost a friend, okay? I give them a time frame. I say, you don't need to talk to answer me right now, but would you think about it and could you let me know by Friday at noon? And that's not because I'm all about the deadlines, but because I think it lets them know, like, once Friday at noon has passed, I can make eye contact with her again and be friends. Like, we can move by. And it gives them a chance to really think about it, to go home, to sleep on it, to talk to their spouse. In fact, the people that right away are like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'll usually say, tell you what, go home, talk to your spouse about it, let me know for sure tomorrow morning. But because sometimes you get into stuff, like, one thing that Pastor Kyle had asked me to do, I was like, yeah, I can do that. And I went home and I was talking to Matt about it. And he goes, babe, he's like, there's no way. Like, we have four kids. You want me to get all of them dressed into church by myself every Sunday? And I was like, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. Like, I hadn't even thought through all those details. But one of those like, hey, let me go home, think about it. Let me know tomorrow morning. So even give them time. Don't pressure them on the spot. Because then you'll get lots of, okay, okay. And then maybe they, it wasn't a good fit for them anyways. Okay, so the first one was clearly define the role and the time frame when making the ask. The second thing is, is make sure everything the volunteer needs is available before they walk in the door. Let's do that one again. Make sure everything the volunteer needs is available before they walk into the door. Now guys, my husband and I again have volunteered in a 
ridiculous number of places. We're always up for being around people and doing whatever, and so we end up getting volunteered to do silly things. But I'm sure some of you have, have had this happen to you once before, and now you're emotionally scarred even by the thought of it. But you have a good friend say to you, Hey, I'll buy the pizza if you'll help me move. Right? And you're like, I love pizza. You're my friend. What could possibly go wrong with this situation? Right? And you show up for said pizza and the fun of moving boxes with buddies. And you realize by helping them move, they actually meant packing their entire house, cleaning it from top to bottom, loading it in a truck, taking it to the new house, unloading the whole thing, unpacking it. And you're like, no amount of pizza is ever worth doing that again. Like, you have fooled me once. I'm never helping any individual move again. Guys, it's the same way for church. When you, when you say to somebody, hey, it would be really great if you would come in and help us collate the bulletins on Friday morning. There is nothing more irritating for a volunteer to show up at the time you said. You said, be there at 9. You show up at 9 o'clock, and the person is like, and you go, where are those bulletins? Oh, hang on. They're coming. <laughs> like what, for the next hour and a half? Like, why are they not printed? Or, yeah, I'm going to need you to put that in there. Oh, great. Do those need to be cut because they're not the same size? Ooh, I think they do need to be cut. So where's the old paper cutter? Oh, why don't you go back and check in the kids' room? Okay, guys, that is so frustrating. When I give an amount of time to something, I want my entire time to be spent there being used well. And I know that sounds, as the person in charge of the volunteer, you're like, what do they care? Like, great, they get a couple minutes to sit and have coffee. Guys, I can sit and have coffee at home. And your volunteers probably have sat and had their coffee at home. They are giving you this amount of time they feel like their time is being used well when they use that amount of time for the ministry, okay? They don't want to come in there and sit and small talk with you for an hour while those bulletins print. You may be lovely. That's not what they signed up for. They signed up to stuff bulletins. Now, I will tell you, if they start coming in early and they just want to sit and chat and bring you coffee, then you are super lovely. And they did want to come and chat with you. Okay? Congratulations. Take it as a compliment. But the majority of people want to do the job. And so you need to make sure that everything is ready exactly how it needs to be when they get there. They should not be having to futz around and find things, chasing things down. Or the worst is you get there and you're like, oh, Everything we need isn't going to be here for another hour. Are you kidding me? No way. I'm not going to. Next time I'm going to show up an hour late because clearly that's the world that you work on, right? So you need to make sure that everything is ready. So that's the next one. Make sure that everything the volunteer needs is available before they walk into the door. Guys, for uh, kids ministry, my friend runs the kids ministry of a church here in town gigantic kids ministry on Thursday afternoons she brings her kids over to our, my house and our kids play together and her and I sit there and we cut out like hearts or little Jesus finger puppets and we'll do it for an hour hour and a half and both of us just sitting there cutting why so that when their volunteers walk in to work with 35 four-year-olds for an hour they're never touching a thing of scissors everything is cut out and in a box for them everything is at their fingertips ready to go all right number three Explain the task. This is for when they show up. Explain the task again. And here's one, a word that isn't used a lot in the church world. And the ideal goal. Okay? Every ministry has a goal, whether you have actually sat down and thought about it. 
But your, if think about greeters, what is the greeter ministry's goal? That people feel welcomed and they want to come back. Okay, that is the goal. If you communicate that to the goal, to the greeters, it instantly triggers things in their head like, oh, I should smile. Oh, I should be friendly. I should hold the door open for people. I should make small talk. It triggers those things. But when you don't give someone a goal, then they become like the crazy bulletin robot. Because in his mind, goal, pass out bulletins. Okay, no. That is not the goal. We could put them on a form and somebody can grab them themselves. Like, let them know it from the beginning what the goal is. Same for small groups. We have different types of small groups in our church. I know a lot of churches do that. Some of them are Bible study based, some of them are fellowship based. And Matt and I offered to do a small group two summers ago. And guys, I'm going to say it's because we heard from the Lord that this was their good plan. We're super lazy. We have a million kids. And so we just went to the pastor and we're like, listen, the best we can do is once a month, and we really don't want to have to worry about cleaning our house up, so we just want to meet a bunch of families at a playground. You down with that? And he's like, yeah. And so we, when we communicated with the people in our group, we let them know that the goal for our group was that we would get people who were too nervous to show up to a small group. Because let's face it, they can be really intimidating. Going into a stranger's home with other strangers, being stuck in there for an hour, and you can't leave out the back without nobody noticing, way intimidating, right? But going to a park with like 30 minutes into it, you're like, I don't like any of these crazies. You can get your kids out of there. Nobody even knew you were there, right? So like we knew going into it, like our goal is to just make small group welcoming. Now, if we had gone into it thinking the goal of our small group was a Bible study, people that showed up to the park were going to be really frustrated when they're like, dude, I brought my Bible. I'm ready to learn. And we are still putting a kid down that slide. Like... We got something going on here. Okay, no. You got to make sure that you communicate the goal, whatever that is. Sometimes they're super important goals, like make sure the fifth graders learn the memory verse, okay? Sometimes they're not. Sometimes the goal is make sure that kid does not hit that kid before his mom comes, okay? That can be a for real goal, okay? But your volunteer, you need to communicate, like, here's what I need you to do. Explain to them, this is your role in here. Here's your goal, okay? The whole hitting one is actually from a different church that we had. We had a kid that had some issues uh, with, you know, hitting and the whatnot. And then he had a favorite target that he just loved to beat up on, right? And so we legit started to plan someone. We asked them, listen, we don't really want you to work in kids' ministry like we do. It's going to be in the kids' ministry room. All we want to make sure that you do is that you keep these two kids away from each other without anybody's feelings getting hurt. Can you do that? And that volunteer was like, so I don't have to teach a lesson. I don't have to cut anything out. I just have to keep these two kids happy. Yeah, great. Let me tell you, it is easier to get volunteers when you can clearly explain, this is the task, this is your goal, have at it. People go, okay, I get that. It makes much more sense to them, okay? So the next one, and this should seem obvious, but again, it's church world, so maybe it's not so much obvious. And that's when the time frame from the original ask is over, you let them go. Here's the kicker. Even if the task isn't done. Okay? So if you have someone whose job is to come in and clean the church, a volunteer, they're going to come in and clean the church. And every other volunteer that comes in can clean the entire sanctuary in two hours. And you've asked this person to help for two hours, and two hours is up, and like one row is straightened, and you're like, what? 
what? Did you take a nap? Like, what? Guys, if you have asked them for a two-hour commitment and their two hours is done, they are free to go. And by free to go, that doesn't mean you look at the clock and you're like, well, I guess they'll be leaving here pretty soon and I'm going to go in there and clean up that mess. By free to go, you need to go in and free them. Thank you so much for what you have done today. We so appreciate it. You committed to two hours. I wanted to let you know that it's noon. And thank you so much. Can we count on you to come back again another time? Chances are there are a majority of volunteers that will say, you know what, I'm so close. Do you mind if I just finish? No. Feel free. By all means, go finish. But it's your job to come in and say, now your time is up. Thank you. You know, you're free to go. Now that even means, and this is the one that hurts, in those really difficult areas to get people to sign up. So nine times out of ten, it's kids ministry. Okay, you've asked them, will you help till December of this year? It hits December 15th. We all know the last thing you want to do is give them an out because they're going to jump like their hair's on fire. Woo! See you crazies later. I have done my part, right? So you're like, just avoid them. I don't want to do this. But the truth of the matter is, you, your word, you made a commitment with them till the end of December. And if you want to honor that volunteer and honor your word, because as Proverbs says, your word is like golden apples in a silver basket. If you want to be good to your word, you need to come to them and say, you have made a huge impact, but we made the commitment that it was going to be this long. So thank you. You now have the option to, to feel free to leave. I hope that you'll come back another time. So you can even ask them at that point, like, hey, do you think you might be interested in another this amount of time frame? Not another like, hey, thanks so much for your help. Now can I own you for the rest of your life? Like, if you want them to work longer, say. Like, you know, and sometimes you get to a project and you realize, like, dude, I am going to need maybe six more weeks. At that point, ask them. Say, listen, I appreciate it that you committed until December. Such and so who is out on maternity leave, they're having a real hard time. Could you give us three more weeks and then I promise you we will find a replacement for you? Guys, if you will communicate openly and honestly with people, you'll find the majority of people are not raging jerks, okay? The majority of people are very understanding and be like, oh, yeah, I can do three more weeks. Not a big deal. Or, oh, you you need this? Sure, I can do that. But the whole goal comes to communication. If they committed, if your current communication says that they're done at X and so time, you need to honor that and go to them and say, hey, I see that you're done. Would you like to do another commitment or can I help you find the next thing that you want to do? You need to be the one to honor that time frame. And guys, the easiest thing to do, and it is the easy way out, the easy thing to do is be like, well, they'll come and let me know when they're ready to be done. You are right. They'll let you know. Oh, they'll let you know. They'll let 15 people on their way to you let you know as well. And they'll never be back. You'll never see them in your ministry again. Okay? Honor your time frame. Now, my friend who has the church that has the gajillion billion kids, they do something every year where they ask their volunteers to commit to every week. Can you imagine in kids' ministries every week? Like, that just makes me kind of nauseous thinking about it. But they do from September until May, every single week in their in their area, and then in the summer, they're done. They have the option to come back again in the fall, but it is understood in that culture that once we hit June 1st, they bring in a whole different crew of, of people. Um, they actually just do something completely different so it doesn't require any volunteers over the summer. Um, and those volunteers get the entire summer, summer off. 
And you know, she says every July she starts to get this pit in her stomach, like, oh, I got to fill these classrooms again. Nobody's, everybody's going to back out. And she says, so she'll start to worry and pray about it, but mostly worry about it all of July. And as she starts to make the phone calls, she will see that God has worked in people's hearts over the summer. And people will be honest with her and say, you know what? I didn't love my area. But could I try this area instead? Or could I do this instead? Or you know what? I found someone actually to replace me. Is that all right with you? What do you need from me? She says they have never ever, she's done this four years in a row now, they have never, not a single September, hit the first weekend in September and not had every spot already filled. Because I feel like God and volunteers honor that. Like, hey, I see that you're for real. You are not going to use me until I'm so dead I never want to look at a kid again. Like, you're going to honor the commitment that we made. So... When it's over, let him go. Okay, the fifth thing, and this seems obvious, but I feel like in the church we don't do a great job of it, and that is sincerely thank them. Okay, I feel like our thank you sometimes are really couched in the ask for the next thing. Like, hey, thanks, you were so good at that. I would love to see you use that in there, because thank you, you were really good at it. All right, I guess I'll help in that area too. Like our thank yous are always hinged on the next thing that we want from them. And guys, a thank you is a thank you. It is just a, you have made a difference. Thank you. I would love to help you find another place to minister in, even if it's not in our church. Like if you feel like your outreach is homeless and we don't have a homeless ministry, let's you and me together find a place that you can become the person that God wants you to be in ministry, and I'll help you do that. And that is tricky when you're in charge of one specific area of ministry. When you're in charge of the greeters, you do not have the time or the resources to say, hey, thanks, let me help you find what's going to be a good fit for you. Honestly, if they say they're done, you're like, well, good luck. Send your friends my way and on the way. But to walk them to the next thing is the way that you can most sincerely say thank you. Because the truth of the matter is, as much as we don't want to beat them with it, We are all called to serve. It's in the Bible. The Son of Man came to do what? Right. Seek and save the lost. And by doing that, he had to serve others. He was the greatest of servants. Okay? We have, our people should be serving. It's our responsibility to make them see the importance of serving. But it's also our responsibility to help them find the place of service where they grow and it makes them the best. So the best thank you that you can give is, hey, thank you. You have really made a difference. We'd love to have you stay. But if you don't want to stay, I want to help you find what is your fit. So tell me what interests you. And to just have that conversation of what interests you. Because chances are, if you're on the church staff or even here because you are high enough in the church that you know enough of the people around, If somebody starts to tell you what they're interested in, chances are you know at least how to point them in the direction to get them down the path to reach what they need. You might not be able to get them all the way there, but you can be like, you need to talk to them because they know such and so. And that is what we need to do is help each other find our place in ministries. That's the best thank you. And number six, the last one. And this is one that you can legit do on Monday. All right, are we ready? Super exciting. And that's follow up with them and make sure to let them know how their service made a lasting impact. So what most people do is once people walk out the door and we've even said thank you, then we're like, all right, on to the next thing. Guys, following up with someone down the road is the way of making sure that they understand, like, you were not a warm body to me. 
You were actually something. I want to read what I put as the no's and the yeses. So the no for this one was a, it's not actually even words. So they've said they're not going to come back anymore. You've said, yeah, thanks. The no is uh, avoiding them at church since they backed out of helping and you're stuck finding a replacement. And so rather than like giving them the evil death look, you're just like, I'm just going to avoid them because now I have to do their work and thanks for nothing. The yes is this, is sending a note in the mail that says something like this. Sally, I just wanted to say again how great it was to have your weekly help in the office. We miss seeing your smiling face. So please feel free to stop by sometime and show us pictures of your granddaughter. We'll continue to pray that God does great things in your family. What that says to someone is not just, hey, we miss having your warm body fill this hole, and now we're all stuck cleaning up your mess. It says, we valued you when you were here. We made a point to find out what was going on in your life. We made a point to find to be a part of your life and to let you into our lives. And more than just you being a volunteer, you were a friend. And we just wanted to let you know, like, hey, we miss seeing you. Stop by and have coffee with us sometime. It's that extra step. And again, we're not doing it for the little notch in your belt, like, I'm super good with volunteers. But because at the end of the day, guys, we should genuinely be loving the people that God puts in our lives. These volunteers are your avenue of ministry. You're doing more than just ministering by making sure the greeters are there and and those greeters that are ministering the conversations. Those greeters... They're your small group. God has placed them under your care. You are their shepherd. And even though you're shepherding them on how to help the church, you're still responsible for them. You should be vested into their lives. And when you do this, when you follow up with them, long after they're gone, it's your way of saying, I value you as a person. You meant something to me. You mean something to God. I just want you to know you haven't been forgotten. That's how we follow up with people. That's how we truly show the love of Christ. That's what the church is lacking, really, that hands out of the love of Christ to the people that are vesting into the ministry that we feel like God has called us for. And guys, let me just take my soapbox for just a minute and so you can throw things if you want because it's a freebie. It's not on the notes. But guys, I'm a firm believer that every person has a unique call of God on their life. Every single person, every family, every married couple, every kid has something that God has has really put on their heart to do. And one of, I feel like, the problems in the churches we do is I feel like in order to help out our ministry, we kind of squash that down a little bit of other people and we say, well, you're called to minister in our ministry. And guys, for a lot of people, the church is the natural avenue of them expressing their ministry gifts. It makes the most sense to them because in their professional life, they're not getting to use a lot of those ministry gifts. And so the church makes the most sense. But regardless, that ministry gift is theirs that God has given them. And they're responsible to answer to God on how they have used that ministry God's put in them. Now, that may be in the doors of the church. Absolutely. It may be in the doors of another church. It may be in a not-for-profit. But our job as the church and as leadership in the church is to make sure that every person grows the most healthy way in the ministry that God has called them to. Hold on. Even if that doesn't necessarily benefit your four walls. And that's the one that hurts when you see someone that is fantastic at what they do and you know they could make a huge impact in your church and they come to you real honestly and they say, you know what, like, I do feel called to do this, but I feel called to do this right there. 
the easiest thing to, to do is to just, okay. The harder thing is to say, awesome, let me help you. You tell me what you need to make that happen. Because as the church, our job is to help people become who God wants them to be, whether or not that benefits the ministry that God called us to do. Okay? All right. Soapbox off. So those are the things that you can do this week or start to do this week. And again, guys, I know that changing volunteer ministry from the top down is a long, hard thing. I luck out when I have a senior pastor who every single week gets up there and he's like, dude, if you're here, you need to be plugged in. You know, that it's going to help you grow. It's going to help the church grow. If you're here, be either all in or all out, get plugged in. And so I'm telling you, it's easy in our church to find volunteers because everybody knows it's part of the culture that if you're here, you're serving. Lots of churches are not that way. And getting to change that culture to be like, hey, let's find everybody at the spot that fits them best, not an easy change. But by starting this week and valuing people and giving them specific time, time frames, trusting that God will take care of his ministry and provide people instead of burning people out because you're so nervous he won't fill that hole. Doing that is what's going to be the church to those people. Okay, so who has questions? Anybody? Yeah. Thank you. Say it again, real loud. I'm just kidding. answer community. Everybody knows in the church that, hey, when I show up to volunteer, my ministry is not just to whatever we're ministering down to, but it's to the ministry across. Uh, When we first started doing uh, kids ministry teams, we specifically put people in there that we told them, we said, your sole job is not even to train the other teachers. We, We were a brand new church. We had people that did not know Jesus. We also had kids that needed a grown body in that room. Okay, so you put in a real solid Christian, you partnered with two people that you were pretty sure they were saved, and you told that good Christian, you were like, yes, the kids need to learn about Jesus, but these people need a solid foundation. You're the closest to them because we're just not sure if they're going to show in a small group. They're yours. You need to follow up with them and not just the, please show up on Sunday so I'm not stuck. The, hey, you know, you want to come out to coffee afterwards? Community. I mean, in my opinion, and this is, again, my opinion, I feel like people grow the most through community because that's where they have to be genuine. They have to take their mask down. And so when you're trying to partner people and grow people in ministry, the natural way to do that is community. Because even you as the ministry leader, you're the one who brings them in and connects them but you're not sitting there with them every day. You need to be around the people. You need to tell the people around them, hey, connect, be friends, do life together, do more than just keep kids from killing each other, like become friends, go out to coffee afterwards. You know, even I had heard of a church that how they did their volunteer thank you instead of throwing a big banquet was they thanked their people in groups. So they would do like 
they would go in on a Sunday morning and there'd be, you know, five five adults working the kids' ministry team. Instead of bringing them in donuts and coffee and saying, hey, thanks, they would hand them in front of each other gift cards to a pizza place and say, hey, guys, and we called. There is a table for five if you guys can all go today for lunch. No pressure, but here's the gift cards. And so it gave, like, this obvious, like, hey, even if we can't do that today, we should do that sometime. We have the gift cards. Do you guys want to go or should we wait till later? Helping them take that second step for, I do more than just show up and serve my time. While I'm there, I'm connecting, I'm getting to knowing one another, because as we get to know each other, we're going to grow deep in our faith. Anybody else? Yeah. Sir? Wow, that is such a good question. One I was really hoping nobody would think through all the way to bring up, just going to say. <laughs> yeah, the question was, so we're, we're trying to put people in community, but the truth of the matter is we still have five slots and three people. Like, we still need to get everything done. I'm going to talk from both sides of my mouth for a minute. Okay, first is, whose ministry is it? God's ministry. He will provide the people. Um, when I worked in a church, it was a church plant that had grown really quick, um, and we had tried to do everything all at the same time. There came a point when, as the church, we had, the church leadership, we had to sit down, and we had to make some tough decisions. And some of those decisions were taking away ministries that we were doing, some that were even successful, because we realized the health of our volunteers that we were running to keep all of these ministry go- going was not sustainable. We were going to burn out people that already loved Jesus in hopes of gaining a couple more that would come to know Jesus when those people might have come to know Jesus another way through something we were already doing. Guys, that is not a pleasant thing to say because we sometimes measure the success from our church of the number of successful programs that we have going. So what that means is we need to get everything going. Sometimes it means we have to be a little bit ugly and say, you know what? This is a very important ministry. But for this season, it's not our ministry for today. We're going to need to take a break on this ministry. So when I was a children's pastor, which by the way, that's come, that's under wraps. My current pastor doesn't know I ever did that. So nobody mentioned that to him. Katie, that means you. Um, When I was a children's pastor, I had people coming to me saying, do you know the benefit of Vacation Bible School? Why do you never do it? So finally, I felt the pressure. I'm like, all right, we'll do it. Guys, it was a horrible failure. Horrible failure. And I was all in. I never do something part way. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, fine, we'll do it. And I only gave it a half an effort. We gave it our full effort. And I walked away from that and felt so directly like God was saying, there's a lot of good things to do. There's a lot of good things. There's even people that will say to you, I will help you do that good thing. But if you don't feel like you have the go-ahead from God to do that good thing, don't do it. And some good things are good things for a season. They're not a good thing forever. So you need to pull back. Guys, we went through a season when we had a real hard time getting kids workers. And so, hugely popular, we took one Sunday a month where we left the kids in with the adults. Do you know it took like three months of that? We didn't have that problem again. 
okay? Everybody's like, oh, no, for real. I'll do once a month if we just don't have to do that once a month. Like, it was horrible. But sometimes you do have to step back and be like, we're going to have to be a little bit uncomfortable in order to to move forward. And then my other, a little more practical thing, because I know some of you guys are like, I am not in that position to say to the senior pastor, let's cancel kids' ministries, okay? The other more practical thing to do is, guys, we all know there are strong believers, there are middle believers, there are new believers. We're all on this path, right? Again, people appreciate frank and earnest communication. If you find your big, strong believers, if you say to them, guys, we have to make a change because we need to value our people. And I know that you have been carrying on the back, you have been carrying on your back this ministry for a very long time. We have got to make a way that you can stop doing that. But in order to do that, I need you to carry a little extra load for a couple extra months. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to develop teams of people. And so I'm going to give you the people, but I'm going to need you to work in two ministries to make this happen. And all I need you to do is to build that team so that you can step out in a little bit. But I need you to get them good and grounded. When they asked us to do small groups uh, last fall, Fall group, fall small groups are a disaster in our world. Okay, has anybody heard of Celebration Tour? So, you know, you go to one event. My husband goes to all of them. Okay, like I joked with him the other day. I go, babe, do you even know there's this month in the middle of September and November? It's called October. We we still live here. Did you know that? Okay, like he's gone the entire month. And so for us to do small groups in the fall is a horrible idea. Like it just doesn't work for our family because when he's home, we need to be home. But we were asked, and we were asked with this intention of, there is this couple who will make amazing small group leaders. They need someone to mentor them for one session. And I know this is a terrible time for you, but could you this one session do this for us? Yep, we did it. Was it easy for us? No, but we knew going in, like, this is something that needs to happen for the betterment of the church. This is the time frame, And we know that in the long run, it pays off. And your strong leaders who are strong in the faith will get that. If you just go to them and say, like, we have five spots. We want to get people to work in teams. I'm going to need you to build some teams, six months, and then we'll pull you out, we promise. People that are strong in the faith will be like, yes or no, but let me show you how we can do that. Just be upfront and honest with people. Anybody else? We're two minutes past. Yeah. So you have lots of volunteers like in our kids' ministry. Um, do you go to them now? So they all, you know, we got in there, they were already working there, we've added a few new, but do you go to them now and say, oh, they give them a time frame of when your time is done? Well, if you do, don't pick the same one. They all of them only work once a month. They all do only once a month. And we did that on purpose so that they aren't burnt out. I, what I would generally say is I think school years make the most sense in kids' ministries because that's when kids move up. Some people want to move with their kids. It's a real logical time. I would start promoting now since it's like March and say, hey, guys, when we hit May, May 31st, the summertime, we're going to have you work through the summer because I know we have lots of vacations. But everybody gets the chance to make a new commitment August 1st for the next year. So that they know, even starting now, like, hey, I'm going to have a chance to say no in August. So I'm going to push through until then. And then at that point, you will have some people that say no. But just start communicating, like, here is the date. Other church, there's another big church in town that does trimesters. And that way for them, they're never trying to replace everybody all at the same time. And so if you're just stepping into this, you might do that. Tell everybody so that somebody's like, what? They're your favorite. They're getting out of this and I'm stuck. 
but just say, hey guys, we're gonna split you guys into trimesters. We're gonna split you into twice a year. You guys are gonna serve till December. Then you make another commitment. You guys are gonna serve to July and then make another commitment. But let everybody know, like, this is what we're shooting for. It may be real ugly to start with, but we are, we're, we're gonna try to give this a try, okay? All right, guys, I wanna pray for you real quick before lunch. God, I thank you for this crew that obviously showed up because they have a care not just for uh, doing your ministry, but also for taking care of the people that are doing your ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would just in their minds light up one or two things out of this session that they need to do immediately. Lord, I pray that right now you would put in their mind the face of somebody who maybe even is smiling at church, but inside is absolutely dying. Lord, I pray that today they would reach out to them or tomorrow and that, Lord, you would just burden them to just go up to that volunteer and just put their arms around them and be the love of Jesus to that person. Remind that person that you love not just what they do for you, but you love who they are. God, we pray your mighty blessing on this crew of people as they are seeking to serve and do your work. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.